Welcome to Word Matters, presented by the Christian Standard Bible. Word Matters is a podcast dedicated to helping Christians understand some of the most confusing and controversial passages of the Bible. Now join the conversation with your hosts, Trevin Wax and Brandon Smith. Does the Bible forbid same-sex sexual activity? That is the question that we're discussing on this episode of Word Matters. I'm Brandon Smith here with my co-host Trevin Wax. And today we're discussing Romans 1, 24 to 27. Really easy question, Trevin, that we decided to, to tackle today. That's right. Uh, Nothing controversial. No, not at all. <laughs> and uh, helping us work through this uh, passage is one of our favorite guests, uh, Dr. Tom Schreiner. Uh, Tom is the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation, Professor of Biblical Theology, and Associate Dean of School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's not busy doing anything at all. And uh, he's written a ton of great books, including uh, commentaries on Romans and Hebrews, as well as uh, the King and His Beauty, a Biblical Theology of Old and New Testaments. Uh, Tom is also, uh, we're grateful to work with him as the co-chairman on the CSB Translation Committee. So Tom, thanks so much for hopping on with us. Uh, it's great to be with you today. Uh, so I just, we made the joke a minute ago that this is a, a really controversial topic. I, it, actually, it has not been controversial for thousands of years. Just in the last, really, I would say 30 to 40 years has begun to to become controversial as um, this the sexual revolution has um, been more widespread in in culture as different uh, countries. Uh, most recently, Australia has legalized same-sex marriage. Uh, so there's a lot of political things that we could talk about. There's a lot of social issues that are wrapped up in this. Uh, but we are going to focus primarily on the text itself. And we're even though there's a lot of questions we could be dealing with, with uh, when it comes to this question, we're going to be looking uh, specifically at Paul's sexual ethic. Does he prohibit uh, sexual activity between members of the same sex? That's the the question that we're looking at. And uh, different scholars, Christian scholars and leaders have been debating this. So let's jump in and start working through it here. Uh, I'm going to read Romans 1, 24 through 27 in the CSB. Uh, Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator, who is praised forever. Amen. For this reason, God delivered them over to disgraceful passions. Their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The men in the same way also left natural relations with women and were inflamed in their lust for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and received in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. Uh, so that there's the passage, obviously part of Romans 1 overall um, uh, understanding and laying out of uh, the wrath of God and how it's being manifested and what are some of the, the consequences and the, um, the reasons for that. So I'm going to, uh, we'll, we'll lay out a couple of views, Brandon and I, and then Tom, we'd love for you to, to help us think through these. Um, one view, and I'm just going to, I'm, we're only going to look at two views here, even though there are many that we could, that we could put as, um, more recent interpretations that have, um, kind of have risen up in the, in the past 30 years or so as a, as a way of either softening or, or changing what has been the traditional perspective on this passage is the view that Paul is not condemning homosexual behavior, but rather condemning sexual promiscuity. Um, so this view argues that when Paul is talking about, um, uh, sexual impurity, he's referring to lust, lustful actions. He's not referring necessarily to the kind of same-sex relationships we see today that, uh, uh, lead to monogamy, uh, fidelity, uh, a commitment, uh, based in love. He's, he's describing behavior 
that he condemns as lustful, um, but not necessarily what we would think of today would be applicable to, um, to uh, for example, uh, partners in a gay marriage, or so to speak. Uh, so the idea here is Paul is for monogamous, he's not even really speaking to monogamous relationships uh, between same-sex people. He is he is uh, forbidding a certain kind of sexual promiscuity. Yeah, and then kind of the other view you can take, uh, although like Trevin said, there's a lot of nuances to this as well, but uh, basically that Paul is condemning or speaking against um, same-sex sexual activity. So so people of, of the same gender um, committing sexual acts together. And so Tom, uh, you're going to take the second view on this, I'm sure, and then uh, it might be helpful just to let you start kind of fleshing out a little bit how you take this, uh, how you take this passage and how you work through it. Well, uh, in terms of the view that uh, Trevin uh, just mentioned, uh, that view following James Brownson is, is really assuming that Paul uh, had no concept of sexual orientation. Hmm. But actually, we know from documents in the ancient world that sexual orientation was known as a, as a, as a real uh, problem that people struggled with. And when we actually look at the text, look at the text carefully that we just read, Paul doesn't merely talk about passions and lusts, but he also talks about actions, doesn't he? About actually carrying these things out. So separating desires, lusts from actions, I think that's a false dichotomy in the passage. The, the other crucial element to see in the passage is, is what's the grounding for what Paul says? Is, is it merely cultural. I don't think so because he argues that what is happening here with both men and women in same-sex sexual activity, he argues that it's contrary to nature. So what does he mean by that? I think he means by that it is contrary to what God intended in creating men and women. So, so the grounding isn't that it's merely lustful, but that it's contrary to what God intended when he made male and female, that he made male and female for a complementary sexual relationship in marriage. A follow-up question I would have for that is, um, and I think if I'm, I don't want to jump too quickly if we're preaching or teaching on this, but I think as we're, as we're already thinking of how we would deal with this, knowing it's a sensitive subject, um, why, why does Paul bring out this particular activity in this part of Romans. I mean, there is actually after this, there's a list of a lot of different sin, including uh, rebellious disobedience right. against parents, right? Yeah. So you have you have a lot of sins that are here. And then of course we know in Romans 2, Paul then turns the tables against those who would uh, have a sense of moral superiority. That the, the point of this whole section is that we're all guilty and sinners and all under the wrath of God. But I, I, I do ask the question, why, why would Paul find it uh, logical at this point in Romans to bring up this particular uh, activity? Is this because he believes this is the, the worst sin of all the sins that could be could mention or what, what, what's going on there? Yeah, and, and I think the answer is he doesn't bring it up because it is the worst sin. I mean, some have, I think, wrongly interpreted it that way. Instead, Paul has just argued that the fundamental sin, the root sin, is idolatry. The root sin, instead of worshiping and praising God, is to worship and praise ourselves, to set up idols. So in one sense, if we understand this, the natural thing to do, the natural thing in, in the sense of the right thing to do, the thing God created us to do, is to worship and to praise God. 
And same-sex sexual activity mirrors the world gone wrong, so to speak, just as human beings who are intended to worship and praise God instead worship and praise themselves. So uh, same-sex sexual activity inverts the, what God intended, what, what God wanted to be expressed in terms of our sexual relationships. So I think he brings it up because it's such a good illustration. Clearly, it's wrong, but I, but I think it would be a mistake to say, well, this is the worst sin. Yeah, that makes sense. So um, let's shift this a little bit toward, we always talk about preaching and teaching, but I think this is one of those topics where it's really helpful to start digging into the pastoral perspective and the teaching perspective, um, not spending as much time on condemning necessarily, making it feel condemning, but how do you pass... How do you pastor and preach in this? Because in your in your churches, we we have this at our church. Uh, we have people in our church who would say they struggle with that uh, with that temptation and um, are actively seeking to not engage in it. Uh, we've had a guy in our church who came uh, to basically uh, he had to take a class at uh, at the local university, and so he had he was in an anthropology class, and they said basically mm-hmm. you have to go somewhere to worship. Uh, to every Sunday, and so it's part of his class requirements. So he came to our church for an entire semester, mm. and he's asking all kinds of questions. You know, that come into this, so it really becomes pastoral and personal really quickly for people. Um, so how do we how do we balance this view? Maybe the first question would be, you know, from a pastoral perspective, from a leadership perspective, how do we balance the view that yes, this is a sin. We definitely don't want to uh, promote it or say that it's okay, but also valuing the personhood of the people who, who engage in this sin, the people who do act on it, not just people who have the temptation, but people who actually act on it, how do we do that? Because oftentimes I think Christians are accused of treating as saying that they're less than human or they're not, their personhood is being challenged. So how would you handle that pastorally? Yeah, I, I think it's important to say and to recognize, not just recognize, but the, the church has an atmosphere where we recognize we're all, we're, we're all sinners. Mm-hmm. We're all fallen. We're not, we're not, we're not, we're not lifting out a certain category of people. We, we all struggle with sin. I, th- I think it's helpful to, to say we all struggle with sexual sin or brokenness in one way or another. Um, I, I think another thing we should say is that there should be no, no joking, no, mm-hmm. no mocking, um, that, that we, we express love to those who struggle with sin because we ourselves struggle with sin, mm-hmm. don't we, as well. At the same time, we don't compromise. The, the loving, the loving uh, attitude is uh, not to compromise because some people think love means, well, we just give in, right? Mm-hmm. We don't compromise. But at, the, but at the same time, we affirm the personhood and the value of uh, every human being. We recognize we all come from different places. Yeah. What, if I'm if I'm preaching or teaching on this, and I'm in Romans one, and I'm I'm generally am going to be trying to preach the whole the whole point of the passage. I I definitely would believe that I have failed as a preacher if people leave the congregation congregation feeling proud that this is not a sin that mm. they struggle mm. with, or that That's that right. you know being somehow feeling a little superior because they're straight. For, mm-hmm. for example, um, I, grace shatters every sense of superiority, mm-hmm. and the, the the doctrine of sin levels us all. And the and the the whole point of Romans one is to level us. But that is the understanding mm-hmm. of sin and idolatry that should level us all. So uh, so one of my my first things as a pastor or preacher coming to this text is I want to make sure that I'm not giving. 
uh, any kind of indication that people should be able to pat themselves on the back because of their either because of their their own uh, morality or the holding the right position, so to speak, on this on this topic. Um, but at the same time, I would definitely want to to uh, to to be clear uh, as to why Paul would have this view to show how it fits into the overall understanding of Scripture yeah. from beginning to end about the nature of sexual union, marriage. And we may have to even do a little bit of unpacking in the sermon of what are some common myths about sexuality in our society. I mean, the idea that, um, that not having sex is somehow may, would make you less than human or less than a flourishing human being uh, has to be exposed. That is a myth. Um, yeah, and I think that's exactly right. We, we want to place this in light of the whole story of Scripture, of creation, uh, fall, redemption, and consummation. Genesis 1 and 2, that's a, a clear pattern. It's also helpful, isn't it, to consider, in terms of the Jewish worldview, there was a unanimous agreement on this matter, on same-sex sexual activity. They, they always thought it was wrong. But in the Greco-Roman world, there was some openness to mm -hmm. same-sex sexual activity. And, a, and another thing you said, Trevin, that I think is so helpful, a, a way to preach it, it's a symptom, right? It's a symptom of sin. And that, that those symptoms are, can show up in different ways. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be tempting for us to say, this has to be fixed. But what's the fundamental problem? It's the relationship with God. And that's the fundamental problem we all share together. As human beings, apart from redemption, we're, we're not in a right relationship with God. Yeah, I think that's why it's important mm -hmm. when, when you said not to joke about it, not to make comments about it. Um, you know, so many people that I know, several friends of mine who, who struggle with it, people in our church, who have struggled with it, who have grown up and said, I felt shamed. I felt like I couldn't talk to anybody about it. Largely was not because there was a pastor up front who was just saying all gay people are going to hell. It was the comments. It was the conversations. It was the way that, um, you know, making joke about guys who maybe seem more effeminate, you know, making those kind of jokes and those kind of things uh, that make them feel condemned, even if you don't think you're doing it. So it, it's it's like you would do it with, with uh, all kinds of different people who struggle with different things. You wouldn't make fun of an alcoholic, you know, about beer. You would not do that. And in so many different ways, people who struggle with different sins, you have to be so careful not to joke about it and make comments because it can make them feel devalued, rightfully so. And that's what I think the church really has to work on in our preaching and our teaching and our discipleship is letting them know, look, you're just like everybody else. You know, like you said, like it's a level playing field at the end of the day. And our culture wants to lift up sex so high that it becomes such a bigger issue. And so we have to address it. But yeah, and and you and 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 of course it's always wrong to do that, but you don't know who's in the room with you. I have yep. a very close friend. The guys in the room didn't know he struggled with same-sex attraction. So they were joking and mocking and making fun, fellow Christians doing that. And uh, he left the room. He didn't tell them, but he left the room devastated and started to cry because he, he, he thought, how do I ever share with these brothers what I struggle with after he, what he heard in that room? Right. Yeah, because then you feel like you can never talk about it or you're, you're the butt of the joke yeah. at the end of the day. So. Well, and, and then it is lifted out as this is the greatest sin, and, yeah. and that's contrary to what Scripture is saying. Yeah, so so I think what we're hearing here here is, uh, as pastors and leaders, you definitely don't want to budge on this and say that it's okay, but you have to be so careful in how you do that, loving, kind, patient, uh, even nuanced. You know, Spend some time reading books that will help you understand the issue and not just sort of treat it as this blanket thing, because there is a lot that goes on. There are people that struggle in different ways with this, that have different views on it. And so it's not as simple, even as we made it in this podcast, there's a lot more going on there. So Tom, thanks so much for hopping on and talking through it with us. Well, it's great talking to you, Trevin and Brandon. And Trevin, thanks as always for co-hosting. Thank and thank you. you all for listening. We will see you next time. 
Thanks for listening. Word Matters has been presented by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful to the original languages, but clear for today's audience. Find out more at csbible.com.